0: Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that takes a look at all things marketing in the world of sports. Alongside Brian Cristiano, I'm Rob Cressy. I'd like to welcome Lana Berry, sports and lifestyle influencer and content creator to the Sports Marketing Huddle. So, Lana, I enjoy following you on social media, watching you eat ice cream, pork chops, <laughs> and the Cube of Power Challenge, as oh, well God. as talk about... Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers in watching baseball. But first off in your Twitter bio, you mentioned that you are fueled by peanut butter, crunchy yeah. or creamy.
1: It depends on the situation. I'm a, I'm a fan of both. I don't like to pick sides. If I'm, I'm doing crunchy, if I'm eating it like with a spoon or on something, if I'm doing it, spreading it on a sandwich, I usually go creamy just cause it's easier. But I
0: like both. I'm a crunchy guy. And my friends and I, that was actually one of the questions that we would have uh, to qualify if a girl could be uh, potentially dateable material because we're we're crunchy (laughs) fans. And if she rolled up and she's like, oh, no, I'm creamy. We're like, oh, this one's not going to work for us. (laughs) So you've leveraged your brand and social media influence into working with brands and sports teams. What do you think teams and brands need to do to better engage sports fans?
1: Um, I mean, that's it. They just need to engage and talk to them like people and act like people instead of... I think you can easily tell like which teams are good on social based on how natural their interactions are. And it's, it's obviously really hard because there's someone running their account or sometimes multiple people. And um, I know... They feel a lot of pressure because they feel like they have to act a certain way or talk a certain way. But the more natural they are and just talk like they would talk, I mean, unless talking like they would talk is like offensive or stupid or something, but like just being natural and interacting and um, that's how you naturally get people on board is just by being a real person, even if your account is under a brand or a team or something like that.
2: Do you feel, do you feel like uh, brands sometimes forget that you know they they try to put on this like whole corporate shield between the actual human that is on their social media and then the outside world? Like, do you think they forget that sometimes? I mean, I I definitely do.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think the the key thing is is so many brands forget that social media is social media, and the whole point of it existing is to be social and interact with other people and. Sometimes it's just very stiff and stale and sometimes there's just no interacting at all. And they're just pushing stuff out there and they're like, why is no one responding? And I'm like, well, cause you're not talking to anybody.
2: Right. Nobody cares. Now who, who are some either brands or teams that you think are doing a really awesome job at it?
1: Um, as far as teams go, like baseball specifically, Cubs are great. Indians are great. Mariners are great. Uh, Like, the Sacramento Kings did a whole day where, like, a Corgi took over their Twitter account. Like, that's just good branding. That's knowing your audience and what they want. Like, they had a cat take over their account recently. And that's just – it's just paying attention to, like, what – your followers or like other people in sports or like sports fans, like what they're responding to on Twitter that might not necessarily you think would pertain to you, but you can incorporate it because people are going to be like, Oh, this is awesome. Like this team is posting all this stuff and it's stuff we like, like that's thinking outside the box. You can kind of see like a few teams that do that, a few brands that do that, which like no brands are coming to me off the top of my head. I'm thinking only teams right now, but the more you can like take, Things from what other people are paying attention to and talking to, and naturally incorporating it into what your brand or your team is doing without it seeming forced, like you're trying to like do a meme to like get the 16 year olds on board. Like, as long as it's like a natural thing, that's what's going to get the most interaction.
0: What do you think professional teams can do to engage fans on a one on one level? So, Brian and I have previously talked about. Uh, like I'm from Pittsburgh and I'm a Steelers fan and I've actually never had a single professional sports team ever respond back to me. And, and we understand that there's such massive scale and so many people, uh, hitting them back up. But it's also a gigantic missed opportunity because as you know, there's an authenticity as well as a conversational factor of this. So it's great that, uh, a Corgi can run the Kings uh, social media accounts, but what about the next level when it comes to engaging with the fan after the first interaction?
1: Yeah, it's just, um, obviously it takes a lot of time. And I think that time needs to be budgeted toward that specifically. The Cubs are so good at that. Travis Miller, who runs their account, um, I know just has like this huge file of gifts that he pulls from and he can just, he's just so on it now that he responds to almost everyone that tweets the Cubs. And he has like, he just knows he has like a memory bank of gifts and he can just pull it immediately and like respond with a funny gift. And he doesn't have to like really get into it with people and people feel so, so validated just by that quick response. That's maybe taking him like two seconds. Cause he's, it's, it's just natural for him at this point, kind of like it is for us. Like if we're running a social media account, it's just natural to engage in conversation and respond to people who are talking to you and, you know, and you don't have to respond to the people who are being mean or who are, you know, talking trash or whatever, but you can respond to the people who are asking questions or who are just wanting to engage in conversation with you. If they tweet something funny to you, you can just tweet something funny back. And it's just the more you do it, the more you get in the habit of doing it. And I think people who are running social accounts feel too overwhelmed to even start doing that. But just like with anything else, if they just start doing it, it just becomes much more natural.
0: So how do you not get overwhelmed knowing that uh, social is on so many platforms and it's always going on? So for you with Over 150 thousand followers. How do you not get overwhelmed?
1: I mean, it can be overwhelming, but it's just picking and choosing and sifting through like the crap essentially. Because you're just getting a lot of it's just people who are you can you can tell the more you do it, like you can tell the people like they're the same people who respond to you all the time, and you can engage in conversation with those people and doing a quick response. Sometimes it's just a like. Sometimes they just want to be acknowledged that you've seen it. And so I try to just acknowledge everyone and just doing it one at a time. I focus on one platform at a time. So I'll be on Twitter for like 10 or 15 minutes and then I'll just check Instagram and then, you know, just kind of going back and forth. But I mean, in terms of conversation, that's going to be mostly Twitter based. So if you're just checking your mentions on a consistent basis, um, And just picking and choosing the people you respond to. You don't have to respond to a thousand people every hour, but just picking and choosing enough so that people aren't so that at least you're showing other people that you're interacting. And even if you're not interacting with them in particular, they feel like you will at some point.
2: So, Lana, let's talk about, you know, you building your, you know, your brand and your following. Right. Because I, I, I don't think that you started like most people do either with a blog or with media coverage or with a video or something like that. You just literally kind of started out on Twitter, yeah. um, you know, it, it, creating organic growth for yourself. Talk about that. Like, how, how did you go from like, you know, just having some friends on Twitter to like having hundreds of thousands of people paying attention to you?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. So I first got on Twitter because I was working for some marketing guys when I was living in Austin, and um, Twitter had just kind of started out, and they basically, when they hired me, this was before, like, social media managers, social media, anything was, like, a thing. And they hired me basically specifically to get them a lot of Twitter followers. And they were basically like, I don't know what this is. You figure it out and do it. So my entire job was to essentially figure out Twitter and what would get them followers. And it was obviously a different world that's marketing. It was, you know, maybe a little more gaming the system, never buying followers or anything like that. But I was just kind of learning just from doing it through them. And I was like, well, I guess I'll try to start building up my following. I have no idea what I'll do it for. Um And then I, so I kind of would tweet, I kind of got more of like a marketing fitness following because that's what I was doing at the time. And then it wasn't until a friend of mine, I was kind of iffy on Twitter still, even after like doing that for a couple of years. And a friend of mine who was also a huge baseball fan, was like, you know, there's like this group of people on Twitter who are like these nerdy baseball bloggers. And, the, and they just tweet about baseball all the time. And I was like, what? Really? Like, these are my people. This is great. So I followed all these people. I found, like, this little baseball world in Twitter that I didn't know existed after being on Twitter for two-plus years. And um, I basically just befriended as many people as I could because I was so excited that I found all these people because I didn't have those people in real life. And I was – At home, I was working at home at this point. I was working as a consultant in social media and I just kept tweeting like I was tweeting during Texas Rangers games and stuff like that. I was in Texas. I was watching all the games. I was tweeting during football. I was tweeting during basketball and I found that I just kept getting more and more people because the more comfortable I got with the platform, I was just really, it really just became stream of consciousness for me and I found that it really resonated with a lot of people in sports and that I wasn't taking, I was a diehard sports fan, but I was really focused more on like the funny stuff in sports and the entertaining stuff. And I almost found my total despair after the 2011 World Series funny because I was so depressed and upset. And I was like, this is actually funny that I'm like this into it, that this is affecting my life so much. And so it really resonates with people because people are, people in sports are the same way. And so I just kind of built my following that way, just Slowly but surely getting more and more people. The more I was retweeted, the more people I m- became friends with. They would retweet me. And every retweet is, you know, spreading your message to an entire new audience. So I just organically built from that. It didn't come from anything else. It just came from the old school shampoo commercial, you know, her <laughs> friends would call her friends, friends would tell her friends, that whole thing.
2: That's it. Word of mouth, virtual word of mouth. I'm curious, was it, was it always consistent for you or is there any point in time where you're like, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I don't have a reason to be to be spending all this energy doing this.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, especially starting out, of course, when I was starting out, I wasn't thinking I can do anything with this. I was still thinking like, this is what I'm, you know, I'm spending my free time doing this just because it's entertaining for me. And then Yeah. I mean, there's always points where you're like, what, like, why am I spending all my time on this? Cause I, I I really, there was a phase where I was kind of treating it like a full-time job almost, even though it wasn't my full-time job, I was treating it like that. And I was like scheduling games and I was, you know, I was like, I can't go out. I have to do this. I have to tweet this. And then like, still nothing was really happening. So I was kind of like, why, (laughs) why am I like losing my entire real social life to build this Twitter following, but, but Hey, not hanging out with people paid off for me.
2: Yeah, really.
0: From a personal brand standpoint, I want your thoughts Snapchat versus Instagram. What has more of your attention right now from a creator standpoint?
1: Oh, God. I was so the person who was like, I'm not switching to Instagram stories. I'm Snapchat diehard. I'm not switching over. And I've totally switched over to Instagram Mm -hmm. stories. It's just so much easier because I'm already on Instagram like half the time. It's just like a more native experience for me. And I also just get more. I feel like a lot of people ditch Snapchat. So I get even though I my Snapchat following has grown significantly since Instagram stories started, I'm getting fewer views on that than I do on Instagram stories. So I'm going where the eyeballs are. And it's too hard to post on both. So I'll end up
0: like posting like two things
1: to Snapchat and like 50 things to Instagram stories. And I've just totally
0: switched. I'm such a flip flopper. Exact same thing that I've done. We actually just did a podcast two episodes ago about Snapchat versus Instagram. Has anything changed? Uh, one last question for me regarding growth. And one thing I see so many brands fail at fail at is they abuse hashtags. They think if I use more hashtags, that means that I'm going to grow my account larger has hashtag usage on Twitter. Was that part of your strategy much?
1: No, in fact, I think the only hashtags I ever really used were fake ones that I thought were funny that, like, (laughs) literally no one would ever search. I might have used, like, a couple of hashtags during a couple of games, like, six years ago. Like I never use them on Twitter unless it's for a reason. Like, if I need to use it, like, if I'm doing a giveaway or something where I need to, like, track something, for other people like that's pretty much the only time I use it like it's not it's only from retweets getting like people sharing my tweets to other people getting my tweets shared on other platforms like in blog posts and stuff like that that's it's none of its hashtags for me at least
0: I just talked I just talked to a brand yesterday that used nine hashtags on both Twitter and Facebook. No. Facebook hashtags. Facebook. What? Uh, On to you, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. I had to <laughs> mention that it was such an abuse of hashtag. I was like, uh, "Oh my." They're like, "No, we hired someone to do our social media." I was like, "Oh no. my god." Well, that's yeah. disastrous. <laughs> and I what is think, that?
1: I think it can be helpful if you're a smaller account and if you if there's like an official hashtag for like a game or something like that. I guess it can be helpful. Uh, like, it, but you have to think of it organically. If you're thinking about like, what am I searching? Because when I search on Twitter, I don't usually search hashtags. I'll just search keywords. Yep. And so I kind of think in that sense of like, okay, if I'm going to tweet about something, what am I going to be? What would I be searching for? And it's usually not the hashtag. It's usually LeBron James or something like that. But not hashtag LeBron James. Like I'm not right. searching hashtag LeBron, right. but you know, like if there's if something there's,
2: trending, there, there, there's, yeah, something trending or a meme. Sometimes there's a hashtag attached to that. It makes sense. Uh, well, last question for you. What, what, what is your, like, if you had to give one tip to either, you know, personal brands running social media, um, or building their brand or to social media managers, uh, for teams, what, what's like the number one tip you would give?
1: Don't overthink it. Just be authentic. And be consistent with that. Because that's, that's all the personal brand is, quote unquote, is being consistent with something. And so as long as you are being consistent with your own authenticity, like, it won't seem phony. People will be into it. That's way cooler than, like, being consistent with something boring or something that seems forced uh, it goes for Instagram as well. There are some people who just really overthink the personal brand thing. And they're like, Oh, I have to have this color scheme and this and this and this. And like that might get some people on board, but I think people are just generally drawn to people they can relate
0: to. Lana. I, or Lana, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I am looking forward. You did it. You did it. Look look at me. I've written it down like four times in front of me. Uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to follow your eating in baseball and sports adventures. Where can everybody connect with you?
1: Uh, It's very complicated. I'm at Lana, L-A-N-A on Twitter, and I am at Lana Barry on Instagram. And I guess Snapchat's relevant now, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs)
2: wow that might be the nail in the coffin for it we'll we'll have to remember this date as always thanks for listening you can subscribe to the sports marketing huddle on itunes soundcloud google play and stitcher